Welcome to the Gate 7 International Podcast, your official English source for all things Olympiakos FC and Greek football. You are listening to episode 27. My name is Peter Thompson. I'm here with Lambro Sirmos, Adi Burubasis, and our very special guest for today, the one and only Super Greek. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing just dandy, just wonderful. Um, coming off the heels of a pretty big victory, which we'll t- be talking about in a second. But uh, no, happy to, have, happy to be on, talk the beautiful game, talk Greece, uh, lots of stuff to talk about, so we'll get right into it. You hit the nail on the head there. We've just finished watching Greece beat Moldova 2-0, getting the result that we need and the result that we expect. We've got post-game analysis on that. Obviously, the analytics have not released yet, but we'll do some discussion about the game, about the players, and then we'll do a little bit of a preview of a must-win game against Slovenia, our final Nations League group stage game. Before we get into that, we do have some housekeeping to get into. Our next episode after this will be out on Friday, November 20th. We will be joined by Antoni from Hellas Football making his return appearance. We will be discussing the end of the international break after the Slovenia game, and we will also be having some pre-match analysis for the Derby of Eternal Enemies that weekend between Olympiakos and Panathinaikos. The next podcast will be released on Monday, November 23rd, featuring George, who you can follow on Twitter at OliGeorge underscore. He is the host of the new Hellas football podcast, so give that a listen if you haven't already. And we will have a post-match discussion of the derby between Olympiakos and Panathinaikos. After that, our next special guest will be on Friday, November 27th. We will be joined by one of our contributors and friends, Perry Hadjoanu. He will be joining us on the midweek series to discuss post-match for the European games that happened that week, including Olympiakos versus Manchester City, as well as Ike and Pauk in the Europa League. His father is a former Olympiakos player as well, so he will give us some interesting discussion on that. After that, on Sunday, December 6th, or sorry, Monday, December 7th is when you will hear it. We will be joined by Luis, a correspondent for B24 in Portugal, to discuss pre-match for our Champions League fixture with with Porto. He actually was on a podcast with Adi, our former guest Mohamed Ali from Marseille, on David Mooney's Blue Moon podcast, a bit of an all-star lineup there. So give that one a listen where they talked about Manchester City players that have featured for Olympiacos, Porto, and Marseille, so an entertaining one there if you want to reminisce about old Olympiacos players who also played for City. Also, our last special guest, it's not for over a month, but it's a big one, so we're going to announce it now. You've been asking, DMing, and commenting on social media for this one. We will be rejoined by Michael Vicini, but this time it will be even more special because Lambro will be in attendance. These are basically the two biggest trash talkers of Greek soccer and they're going to be on one podcast together. Lambro, surely you're feeling the emotions. You're excited for this one. Oh, I 100%. I think Michael is the the voice of truth on Twitter, on the Hellas Footy podcast. I am so ready to get into national team. Alexis Kouyas, owner of Larissa, being the lawyer of random Greek <laughs> women for Ruben Tomato's party. I'm all about that. I'm, all, I'm ready to get into it. It's going to be a good one. That one will be out on Monday, December 21st. So long ways away, but mark your calendars, folks. You're not going to want to miss it. 
One last announcement. We want to, as always, say thank you to our sponsor, Piraeus International Incorporated. Piraeus International has been importing and exporting cargo for companies and individuals for over 40 years. They can assist you in importing olive oil, marble, or any other goodies from Greece. They can also assist in exporting, whether you have one box or a full household of items that need to be sent over. Check them out at PiraeusIntl.com, spelled like the port in Greece, and give them a call at 410-675-4696. A bit of more general news before we get into the real discussion. Jan Nulich, the left back for Pauk and the Ethniki, had suffered an adductor injury, which resulted in him missing this international break. He also now has tested positive for coronavirus. We wish him well and hope he gets better soon. Olympiacos had a friendly during the international break with Atromitos. They lost 5-2, to two, folks. We didn't watch, but not a great result. And even worse, Jose Holebas suffering an injury. Why we're playing 36-year-old left-backs in friendlies that don't mean anything, I'm not sure. But we don't really have a left-back anymore because Ruben Vinagre is also still injured. So a really ugly situation for us. We are looking at a 22-year-old Norwegian left-back who currently plays for Boto Glimt in Norway. His name is Fredrik Andre Björkan, per Olympiakos EU. He was on our transfer list. I don't know much about this player, but obviously we won't be able to get him until January, but we seem like we need the reinforcements. And we're not going to waste the time doing a deep dive unless it becomes actually something that is happening. So when we hear that there's talks actually happening and that a deal's happening, we'll we'll jump in and see what kind of player we're getting. But for now, you're going to hear a bunch of different names that are jumping into the pot just because we're in desperate need of a left back. It also looks like the the young academy signing we had over the summer, Apostolopoulos, he's going to be promoted to the first team, it looks like, in addition to us bringing in uh, some more reinforcements there. Well, that's good to know. Obviously, it's a shame because we had the other academy player, Martinis, who we let go and now is with Adis. But hindsight is twenty twenty, folks. So we will have to just see what happens with that. We're sure we'll have some more left-back names for you, but clearly that is a position of need. Speaking of transfers, as things start to materialize, over in England, if you've been paying attention to the Premier League, you'll know that Liverpool have gone through an absolute horror of injuries at the back. Their entire back line is injured, folks. Now, not only does this pave the way for our own Costas Chimikas, but they are now looking heavily for a center back with Virgil van Dijk and Joe Gomez both suffering major injuries. One of the players that they've tabbed for their transfer list is none other than Ruben Semedo. We are looking at a 20 to 25 million euro figure. Multiple numbers have been reported. We've had a lot of discussion on social media about what role Semedo would play in England. Obviously, we know a lot of English fans put their league on a pedestal and maybe underrate the impact he would have with Liverpool. But we certainly think that he would more than compete for a starting spot, even if they're healthy. And while Gomez and Van Dyke recover, he would certainly be a good addition to their team. We also yeah, got into it with some of those Liverpool fans on uh, <laughs> on Twitter. Oh, oh yes, we did. Uh, I, I mentioned this on Twitter. Like you mentioned a Premier League team or a Premier League player these people search up their team's name and the hashtags and they will hound your Twitter and just go at you and like, what is this farm you team support? Like, who is this Ruben Tomato criminal who like shot his mother and killed his family? It's like, what? What, what, what are you talking about? Like, 
it's so crazy. Like I was hounded by like 14 year olds on Twitter because I said Ruben Semedo could win a starting position in the Liverpool. It was like scary, honestly. I thought Greek football Twitter was intense, but that was something. No, I uh, I liken it to if you guys have seen the movie Prince of Egypt, great movie. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. They are the locusts from from like the biblical time. <laughs> that literally, like, if you don't put the blood of lamb above your doorway and be like, oh, I love England, England's great, the locusts will be on your doorstep. No. And I mean, yeah. you, you guys are getting started. And you've been in it for a little bit. Now, take it for someone who's been in the biz for a couple of years now. <laughs> rough and tumble of football Twitter, especially in England, and going at it. When I was going at it with Wolves fans, Arsenal fans, I mean, they are unrelenting and uneducated, a lot of them. So it's like you're fighting a blind enemy half the time. It's true. We'll we'll see if time tells and and Ruben Sato does get sold. Uh, My big question is, if you're at Simikas in that locker room, the cloth knocks on your little your cubby hole or whatever, be like, so uh, Costa, what do you think about uh, Ruben Semedo? What do you say? Like, do you want to like have him come over and like fight for a spot and like kind of like mess up what Olivia Costa's got going on over there? Or, like, I mean, as an Olivia Costa fan, what do you? How do you like view it? Do you like that he's going to a big club or do you do you want him to stick around? Like, what's the what's the fan base's kind of post? I guess. So obviously, there's two kind of ends of the spectrum with that. Obviously, you don't want him to leave. He's an amazing player, and it's going to be difficult for us to get players of his caliber to continue to come to Greece. So you want him to stay because he does make our team better. But on the other hand, when you sell players for big money to these big leagues, you know, two players going to Liverpool within the same calendar year, players being sold to other big leagues, it raises our pedigree, not just to other clubs, but to players that want to come play for the club. So you got to take it in stride. We, we, we know, I think reasonable Olympiacos fans know, we are never going to be able to hold on to players like this forever. You know, forget Neri Castillo, who spent seven years here. We're not going to be able to have non-Greek players that stay here for like seven years or their whole career. We're a stepping stone for most of them. And then until they move on to something better. And that's especially true for Ruben Semedo, who, let's face it, if it weren't for his off-the-field issues, he would never have made it in Greece. He would still be at probably a bigger team. So that's something worth keeping in mind as well. But I think maybe it was Lamro or Adi who said once upon a time when we were selling Chimikas, that money can get us like 10 Ushenu Baz or 10 Marikamaraz. It's sort of the way that Olympiakos, if we're good in the transfer market, we can find those nice players. And obviously that money does mean a lot, even if it sucks to see him go. I was listening to Nikola Koplos on Spore FM talk about it. He made the good point, like, yeah, a player like Ruben Tomato would have never come to Greece if it wasn't for the off-the-field stuff. And so it's almost like an honor to have him on the team. So I don't know if I would say honor, but he said something along those lines. So take everything that you will from it. And before he re-signed this massive new four-year contract this summer, we were looking at 10 to 12 million now. Gavros is saying 25, other people are saying 20, you know, that's big money if we get even close to that range. So I'd be happy with that, that amount of money for sure. And it's it's the one position you guys can afford to lose it in. Um, yes. By birth, Panathinaikos fan, but as time has gone on, I'm so pro-Greece and, and, and Greece above all that when teams like Olympiakos or Pauk are doing well in Europe, you almost kind of like see yourself uh, as a kindred spirits and rooting for them as wholeheartedly anyway. But um, as, as we saw, like, in Europa League last year, I mean, with Arsenal, the way that Cissé and Ba were able to handle that Arsenal attack for 120 minutes. I mean, it's the one position you guys can afford to lose. That left-back spot will be a little bit more interesting. I, I don't know if you guys have been reading more deeper reports on the, the relationship between Kutris 
and uh, Pedro Martins. That's been a very, very interesting one. I tweeted about it last week. Uh, there was a time two years ago when it was almost unthinkable that Simnikas would be starting over Kutris in the, either Greece or for Olympiakos. And I mean, credit to Pedro Martins for developing him and Masuras, who almost have had the same trajectory in terms of like reaching their ceilings over the last two years. So Pedro Martins gets a lot of credit for that. But uh, with that left back kafluffle you guys got going on, what is, what is the deal? Where are they at? Because Kutris could add a lot of value for club and country at this point in terms of depth. We have an embarrassment of riches at depth at left back for Greece. But I mean, for Olympiacos, it's night and day, the amount of value he could add at the current moment. Well, you said it quite well. Kutris, when healthy, can be a very good player. He's currently loaned out, I think, to the second division of Germany. But you're right. I mean, there were many people before last season began who would say, Chimikas can get loaned out to Panionios, like we don't need him. And uh, one of those people, maybe, one of our hosts. Panionios is a huge club. I'm sorry. <laughs> that would have been a great loan for Chimikas. At the time, so. <laughs> but we've talked about this at quite an expense, so I don't really want to get into it too much. And Lambro, I think, has said it best. But it seems like sometimes players just aren't in Martins's plans. And it seems like sometimes there's not much that they can do to get back into those plans. And we've seen that with players who haven't been loaned out and are just kind of in the fold, but not playing. One example being Tanasi Sandruzos, who has played for us in the past. So I think with Kutris, it just seems like things have taken a turn for the worse, especially with his injury. But if you get him back in his true form when he was playing his best, he's a perfectly good left back to start for us. A couple more notes about international break before we get into today's game. The Greek U21 national team lost 2-0 to the Czech Republic after a red card in the 42nd minute for Ofi player Odysseus Liberakis. The goals came for the Czech Republic. It was 0-0 at that point, and then the Czechs got two goals. Vrusai did feature in this game. I mentioned Andrusos as a player that was left out of Martins's plans, but you could say the same about Mario Vrusai. He did play 79 minutes. Solakis was on the bench. Interestingly, the starting goalkeeper for that game was Shabanis, a former Olympiakos prospect who had been released as well and is now with Aris, another player like Martinis that got released and is now starting for the Greek U21 national team. Olympiakos's senior team, a few players did feature since our last episode. Mohamed Dreger, our right back, played 90 minutes for Tunisia in a 1-0 win over Tanzania. Yassine Maria also featured. Youssef El Arabi started and played 72 minutes for Morocco in a 4-1 win over Central Africa. And Madi Kamara, after scoring his first goal against Chad on Wednesday, played the full 90 again for them, but unfortunately, Guinea lost. Or, I'm sorry, unfortunately, Guinea drew. However... The way AFCON qualifiers are looking, they didn't really need a big result from this game, so they're in a good spot. Now, let's get into today's game. Let's get into the Ethniki. Before I do that, a lot of people know the Super Greek. He's been quite a presence on social media for a long time, but we want to ask you while you're here, what is your background? How did you get started with the page? You know, what is your goal with it? And what was the idea? What did you want to see when you started it? And also, obviously, you tweet a lot about Greek soccer. Do you have a team that you support? As I mentioned earlier, I'm a uh, Panathinaikos fan by birth, by family. Uh, my cousins all in Greece, they're all Panath fans, even though I'm from, my parents are from Sparti. So if anything, like Asteras Tripoli would be like my team. But to be honest, I, I um, as many kids, Greek kids growing up from the diaspora, especially in our age group, uh, you know, growing up in 
our, you know, formidable years being 2004 to 2014. It's tough to not have ethnic EB kind of like the, the, the golden goose for sports teams. In terms of getting started, it was, uh, I have a, a, a long history in media. I'm a, I was a college runner for Boston University. I, um, I was a 40 meter hurdler. The highlight of my career was actually running over in Greece for a little bit at the Olympic trials. So I got to meet some of the players when, because uh, a, a lot of the, the runners are dating a lot of footballers. It's kind of like a little bit of that cross pollination. <laughs> so um, being able to see them up and close and see, you know, some of the summer trainings was awesome. But with that, I leveraged my track career and my degree into a government job, but also my side passion has always been media. Uh, I'm a communications major. And before I worked in government, I worked at Barstool Sports. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Barstool Sports. Interesting. Uh, Very. A a ragtag (laughs) group, much like the Super Greek. Um, We're kindred spirits in that regard. I've I've more or less distanced myself as time has gone on with a little bit of uh, disagreements that I've had in terms of content, in terms of the direction it's going. They, They do a really good job. They're very authentic, which is something I've always wanted to be. Um, but I've leveraged the skills that I've developed there. And uh, I was like, you know what? There's not really a lot of barstool type um, language and, and content creation for Greek issues, for Greek sports, for Greek um, you know, political issues and whatnot. And if we can marry humor with media savvy, there's a lot of potential for this. And we've, we, I'm very proud of what Super Greek has done at this point. We're only a year and a half old. We've paved the way for a lot, almost like a, a new lane for Greek content creation there was a greek hype house on for like tiktok gen z kids that started i'm not saying i created that or i'm responsible for it but it's almost like the it's like once you see someone doing it like you want to hey it's and it's working and there's a, a demographic for it there's more comers newcomers that come to the marketplace which is great i love that i i don't see it as competition i see it as you know we're we're so small as a footprint in media that um, we, I welcome all voices to the table, which is why I jumped at the opportunity to, you know, get to know you guys a little bit more. And, and I love the work that you guys are doing and what others are doing. And um, we just want to continue it. I think uh, in terms of what you think this podcast, could, or excuse me, this, this page for Super could be, uh, it kind of took a life of its own because there was such a potent need for, for authentic voices. And the Greek perspective in English, I think, is very, very uh, needed. And, uh, you know, being a Greek kid growing up during the crisis, uh, the economic crisis, or, you know, being a Greek kid watching uh, Ethnic E between the years of 2012 and 2014, when media, social media first became a thing, and watching American and English pundits tell our story for us, but not with the Greek perspective. They told it the way they saw it and not how we saw it. And I just remember always, I'll never forget World Cup 2014, when uh, ITV and BBC were talking about how Costa Rica was a breath of fresh air and Greece was a like disgrace almost to to the way football is played and the hypocrisy with that and just there's something about Greece where unless we tell our own story no one else is going to tell it our way and I think with all of that Super League has been able to come become what it's become we do more than sports I think politically and economically there's definitely a huge need for our voice to get out as well the the numbers speak for themselves I mean people really appreciate what we're doing much like they appreciate what you guys are doing for Olympiacos uh, the amount of DMs I get with people like, thank you so much for kind of going to bat for us almost. It's, it sounds weird because like I am a Twitter account the other day. It's not like I'm saving, you know, curing cancer, but there's an underlying value to, to what that is. And it's where our voice is finally starting to be heard. And there's, I'm not the only one, but I'm one of the more prominent voices out there right now, just with marrying my, you know, my enthusiasm, my passion, my personality, the things that I've learned along the way at Barstool. And, um, 
just being able to talk to you guys and get a feel for what Greek people are at and always keeping it 100, I guess, as the, as the children say nowadays. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so it's a nice little rant there. I tend to do that. So uh, feel free to tell me to shut up whenever. But that's, that's where we're at, man. It's, it's really uh, kind of a, a militia approach uh, as Greece has kind of always been throughout history. So it's funny how it's kind of taken on this new life in, in social media, I guess. So that's my yeah. short, long, long answer. <laughs> no, and, and that's kind of, well, one, first of all, we obviously appreciate what you do as well. I wasn't really a Twitter person. I had no idea what was going on. So when we first made the Gate 7 account, that's when I was able to see your feed. And I love it, especially the current events, like the stuff that's going on. Most people in the United States, unless you have Greek friends, you have no idea what's going on over there. You have no idea what Turkey is doing to Greece and not just to us, to Armenia, what's been going on in the Artsakh region. So everything that you're doing to get those issues out there, including the, including the soccer stuff too, that's all pride for us. And we want everybody to know about it. It's very important to cast as wide a net as you can to make sure as many people see that because unless we promote ourselves, and unless we stick together and get the message out together and, you know, pull the communities together, who else is going to do it? No one else is going to do it for us. So that's something we definitely admire. And with regards to tapping into, you know, a, a community that when we first started this, we wanted to listen to something ourselves. We were all looking for something, at least English speaking, for Libyakos or even Greek soccer. And there was nothing there at the time. So when we, when we first started, we were like, look, at the very least – if this doesn't work out and nobody cares, we're at least talking soccer with each other. So, you know, and it seems like you have a lot of fun with the Super Greek as well, that you have a lot of fun with that page, a lot of funny interactions. We've been involved in a couple of those uh, as well with some of the Panathinaikos fans. I didn't know you were a Panathinaikos fan, so I'm sorry if the canapé with the blanket <laughs> was <a little laughs> no, it's all love, baby. It's all love. I'm Greece first. I'm at this point, I'm Greece first. And, I, and that's I, how we are. Yeah, and, and I want to definitely stress um, – we're in this together, like Australia, America, Europe. We're, we're too small to be seeing each other as competition. We are in this together. The, the Englands and the Germans of the world want us to be going at it with each other so we can't, we can't you know, get to our level, reach our potential. And we're finally starting to do that. I mean, I think it's trickling down between, you know, JBS coming back. We can talk about that a little bit later. I do have, he has some pros and cons to him. I don't know where you guys stand with Greek politics, but I really admire the, the way Mitsotakis has been handling Greece and really paving the way to help Greece reach potential from an economic and business level, being able to ride that wave in any way we can. We just need to kind of pick up, you know, pick up the muskets and get going. And, and you know, uh, when, the, when the, the war drum sound will be ready kind of thing with, uh, it's so lame that I'm saying that because we're in, or on internet at the end of the day, but it, it's, <laughs> I, we, I, can't stress, I can't stress enough that we, we are in this together and I will always support Greek endeavors with George Tsitsonis. I, I jumped at the opportunity to talk about him and his book. You know, a lot of people would be like, oh, where's my kickback? Where's my this? I don't even care. Like, let's pump that book out, pump all these Greek endeavors out, and then we'll worry about the money later. Because at the end of the day, our voice and our perspective is more important at this point. We'll get to the point where we're established enough and maybe money's a factor, but I'm not, I'm not there yet. Very well said. And he mentioned George Tsitsonis' book. If you haven't read it, Achieving the Impossible. It's a very, very excellent book about Greece winning Euro 2004. We had George on previously. He's a great guy. I definitely recommend the book. But yeah, I mean, you said it perfectly. Greeks have to be all in this together. As you said very well, nobody is going to tell Greece's story except for the Greeks themselves. And for the large amount of 
Greeks people or people of Greek descent who might not speak Greek because they're living in America or Australia or whatever, it's really important. We always talk about, even though we have banter occasionally, especially Lamro with teams like Pauk and Panathinaikos, we want to see them succeed, especially in Europe. Obviously, mathematically speaking, it helps with the UEFA coefficient with every Greek club doing well, Olympiakos, Pauk, Aik. We can't wait to see Panathinaikos back in Europe. We want to ask you, obviously, you keep up with all of the Greek League teams. We've got Olympiakos in Champions League and then Ike and Pauk in Europa League. What are your thoughts on these three teams? How far do you think they can go in Europe this season? Um, if you were to ask me after Marseille, I was going to say Olympiakos were going to make the knockouts in the Champions League. Oh, me too, me too. Uh, we, I'm saying objectively, we, um, we're, hustling, we're going to have to hustle more for that third spot. And I think we'll get it. I think we will get it. It was a team last year that I fell in love with, actually. I, I fall in love with good coaches and teams that have a great storyline. And Olympiacos last season had both of those. And um, I thought it was going to be a little bit more kind of in the balance as to whether Olympiacos were going to be able to recreate that magic or at least carry on and ride that wave. I think they'll be able to fight for that third spot. I think they will get it. And I think they'll have a chance to make a nice little run again in Europa League knockouts to be determined as to how far they go. But I... I think they got enough juice to at least pose a surprise and, and have a little bit of magic in their in their run again as they did last year. Maybe not the Arsenal game. That's an all-timer. I was a inch away from going to that game uh, in London and creating content for Super Greek. I turned it down because Greece national team was going to be in America next the month afterwards. So I was like, all right, I can't break the bank and go to two trips because I don't live in Dallas or in New York City. So I would have been going to both of those. So I was like, all right, I won't go to London. I'll create content for Ethniki here. And of course, coronavirus craps all over my face and I don't get either because uh. I turned down I turned down uh, the London trip in February and then mar late March, everything after March 15th is obviously canceled. Yeah. So um, I would have loved to have been there for that. But so in regards to Olivia Cos, I would be all at tunnel vision in on Europa League and, and making that run. And they can go far, depending on who they draw, they can definitely go far. So that'll be a lot of fun. Bauk and Ike are a little bit trickier. I haven't been looking at their Europa League groups as much as I should have, so I don't know their exact level of points each. But there are teams that I'm looking that, at them more as coefficient boosters. If you look at the three teams above us in the coefficient rankings, they're all, they only have one team. They, it's, if you look at it, it's like one out of four, one out of three, mm -hmm. one out of three. We have three out of five. So we really need to cash in on that opportunity, get over the hump with um, Serbia, and even get and bridge the gap with Cyprus, who are above them. And I think that's the biggest goal for me with them. Jury's still out whether either of them get out. I know Bauk and I had two wonderful victories, 4-1 each. Uh, I mean, mm -hmm. talk about a schlacking. And uh, we just want to keep that energy going and see what can happen. But um, Bauk definitely have a little bit more of a mountain to climb with PSV, especially that late winner they had in match day two or three, I want to say. So it makes it a little bit more difficult to kind of squeak out of there. And then I, it's just kind of a dwindled version of that team that won in, in 2018, where they had, you know, Bacasetas, Lazaros. But uh, yeah, it, we'll, we'll see what happens. For me, I'm approaching Bauk and Ike more as coefficient boosters. And uh, I know the Bauk and Ike fans are going to be a little bit more mad at me for saying that. Uh, <laughs> but hey, show me something more than one game and I'll, I'll be able to give a little bit more juice to them. So Ike are in a tough spot for sure. And Pauk have a very strong group. We'll see what happens. We'll obviously be rooting for them. But at the least, it is a coefficient boost. You're right. Now let's get into the moment we've all been waiting for, the Ethnic Key, our favorite team to cover. After a 2-0 win against Moldova, the first goal was a beautiful one from our own Costas Fortunis. 
and then a second goal from Bacasetas. Solid game, I think. Obviously, it's Moldova. We are fully expected to beat them. This is a team that Slovenia, who we are competing for for top of this group, they beat them for nothing. So we want to we wanna beat Moldova. Now, I'm not going to be super, super upset about a 2-0 win. We beat them 2-0 last time. I was more upset about that performance personally. I think it was a solid game. I still think there are some players that I would rather see, and we'll get into that later. But I think overall, a good game against Moldova. I think Fortunis, I still think he's being played out of position, but he drifted into the middle and obviously made things happen there. Adi, what are your thoughts on the game? So for me, and you know, we'll wait to see kind of what the data shows us to, to make sure we got the complete picture. But for me, I'm happy we got the win, first of all. You know, Fortunis played great. Bacasetas didn't piss me off as much as he normally does. The midfield, I mean, the midfield's kind of what you expect. Bukalakis and Zeka, you know what you're getting there. But the thing that concerned me, even though we won, was that it seemed pretty clear that tactics didn't win this game. We still had trouble breaking through the defensive line, more so in the second half than the first half. It was noticeable when Fortunis came off the field. And the concern for me is just tactics didn't win the game. It was individual ingenuity that did. Fortunis getting that pass from Bacastetas, you know, towards midfield, running down at the defender and just whipping a 22, 23 meter shot. Gorgeous into that left upper corner. I mean, absolute individual genius and skill in that. And then on the second goal, gets the rebound, no look past the Bacasetas, perfect right in front with an open lane, wide open lane. If Bacasetas had missed that, that was that would have been tragic. So it's still part of it's still part of that player choice for for tactics for me that concerns me. But I was I was more pretty much happy with the performance. You guys really have some beef with Bacasetas. I love I love that energy and I love a good I love a good gripe. I love a good dog fight. Don't get me wrong. But uh I think with the ethniki overall, we're not blessed with a lot of really, you know, silky midfielder types. And while Bacasetas going forward in his end product, I 100 percent agree is not what it needs to be in order to play that central number 10 role. He's a guy that he he offers a skill set where he's neat. He is creative. He can get to defenders turning very quickly. He's good with tight, intricate passing, which is what JBS is looking for. It's kind of an unfortunate situation where it's, it's a necessary evil to, I would argue anyways, to have him present in the squad in some variety, especially with Madalos out. But I do 100% agree. Um, I think it's more the formation I have a problem with uh, long-term than the players playing in the formation. Since day one, I don't think we've been a 4-2-3-1 kind of team. I don't think we have the horses for it. It just doesn't fit our, the makeup and the, the, the DNA of this current squad anyways. It's something that I thought he addressed with Cyprus, so I was excited about that. The faith that I have is that he did play around with the 4-3-3, and that was big. That was big. It's a sign that, that JBS actually does take into effect that there are flaws with the 4-2-3-1. Let's play around with it with Cyprus and see what, how we look. We look pretty good against Cyprus. Obviously, it's Cyprus at the end of the day. But um, I think my faith in him will be a lot more restored if he's willing to kind of favor that 4-3-3 against Slovenia when it's stiffer competition, when there's, you know, we need more goals in the balance. We need um, Fortunis a little bit more centrally, I I'd say, and we will see what happens there. I agree with pretty much everything you just said. The main reason I was a little bit upset today was because we didn't see something very similar to what we saw against Cyprus. Now, you're right, it is just Cyprus, but... It is also just Moldova today. 
So I thought the team played well on Wednesday, and I wanted to see that 4-3-3, just like you said. With Bacasetas, his last two games, he has been a lot better than, you know, we've seen in the past. At least that's what I think. I think, for one, it's a lot about the other players that he's with that's going to regulate how well he plays. If he has more creativity with him in the midfield, whether that's with him dropping deeper, as we saw on Wednesday, and Fortunis as sort of a quasi-number 10 in the middle, or whether that's with him as the number 10 and then maybe like a Galanopoulos type, like a more creative number eight that can play balls, maybe Buhalakis if he's playing a bit better. I also think Fortunis or Mantalos, I mean, for me, it's not really a matter of which one. Obviously, Mantalos not available this weekend, but each of them, I think, are very talented, very creative attacking midfielders that just don't play as well when they're pushed out to the wing. So that's why it bothers me, and I think I speak for uh, Adi and Lambro as well, when we see Bacasetas in the 10, when in reality, Bacasetas might be a solid option, but we've got so many other good options. Mantoros and Fortunis both great, and we never see them in their true position because Bacasetas can't be subbed off, can't be moved. But it was definitely better today, and I do really like the 4-3-3. I totally agree with you that this is a 4-3-3 team for me, and I'm glad we got to see it on Wednesday. I just wish maybe we would have seen it today. Maybe we'll see it against Slovenia. But overall, I'm not going to complain too much today. I'm really not. A lot of it would just be reiterating stuff we've said in the past about Bacasetas anyway. I don't think anybody wants to hear that anymore. If they do, DM us and tell us to complain about Bacasetas more at Gate7INTL on Twitter. Go ahead. We're always DMs are open. But that's mainly the thing that gets me. It's really not as big of a problem, but after watching Cyprus, I was so excited and I thought we were going to see that again. And then we kind of went back to the lineups that we'd seen before. There is context, perfect context for Bacasetas playing in either that kind of second striker role where he can maneuver around or the 10. And remember who we had at the end of qualification last year was Galanopoulos, the real only deep lying maestro that we seem to have that seems to exist for Greece. Now, he had a really bad injury. He's kind of coming back. I'm hoping that he kind of gets back to what he was last year because then there's your context, right? You have your guy that's going to be making those through balls, cutting those defenders for you. And then Bacasetas doesn't need the weight of that on his shoulders. He can he can do his hold-up play. He can keep possession. His work rate is great. We know that. And what I loved about the 4-3-3 was it, when you let him sit deeper and he can help you control possession a little better, you know, for me, I do like him better in that role than, let's say, Zeka, who's more of the workhorse ball winner anyway. And I think he's a better hybrid than Zeka when it comes to at least being able to push the ball around because he is pretty accurate. The problem for me is... When you're stuck with the 4-2-3-1, or for JVS, when he's sticking with the 4-2-3-1, which is an okay system, you have to be more mindful of, of what your available personnel are. Now, Bacasetas has purpose in the proper game script. So against better teams, you probably want somebody that's a little bit more balanced like him, right? It'll work better against better teams. You know, when we play against the Austrias or even the Slovenias of the world, you know, uh, that balance is necessary. And then Fortunus can work in. And I love the 4-3-3 because of that, because then you gave Fortunus the room to run central and Bacasetas was able to drop a little bit deeper. The concern for me with respect to that is you lose your maestro, you lose Galanopoulos, you don't have anybody else that can do it. We've seen Kurbelis, we've seen Bukalakis, sorry. 
Olympiacos fans, we are Olympiacos fans. We love Bukalakis for certain things, but he just doesn't have it, guys. He he gets some looks, but you saw today. There's just not. It's just not there. So, what do you do to make up for that creativity? The four three three encapsulates the available pieces perfectly that we have, and that's something that I want to see. Now, if you're going to run the four two three one, that's when you have to make the decision. If he's married to that formation. You have to play the appropriate personnel in the appropriate game script. And that's that's the issue that I have with what's going on right now. So what I would say in regards to today specifically, because Moldova is more of a particular opponent, where I was a little bit more okay with the 4-2-3-1 today, because specifically in regards to the opponent, you want to be more expansive forward. That's what the 4-2-3-1 provides. 4-3-3 would be maybe a little bit too negative for what Moldova's looking for. So I'm okay with that today. I think long-term, though, if you're trying to do it against an Italy or a Slovenia, Good luck. That five, that midfield two turns into midfield five really quick, as I say on my podcast a bunch. And it's just one of those things where I think everything just rides on this next game with Slovenia in terms of how we feel about JVS, how we feel about his adaptability, because it, it, it's, it's going to be one, it's a, it's a cup final kind of scenario. It's a scenario where we're just going to be tested with a formidable opponent in a competitive match. It's just like all on the line and it's an environment where we haven't seen this crop of players and JVS in a, in a pressure situation. So for me, there's just a lot in the balance still with JVS's tactics. And I, I think you said it perfectly, Adi, in, in regards to the game script, in regards to the context of it all. You sort of mentioned it, but Slovenia is a game that Greece need to win in order to be promoted to Nations League B in subsequent years, which means we'll be playing better competition and have even more opportunity to increase our reputation in Europe. Slovenia played Kosovo today and had a 94th minute penalty that Joseph Ilicic scored. I didn't watch the game, but we've been told off camera by the Super Greek himself that the penalty was a bit dodgy. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what happened, but obviously it's unfortunate. That now means that they are two points ahead of us on 13 points. Greece are on 11. So we've got to win that if we want to be in Nations League B in the future. As frustrating as that penalty was, it doesn't really change our trajectory much anyway. We still it's need to true. win that. We need, we need to handle it as a, a must-win game anyways for a lot of different respects for, for coaching from a, a, a team morale. And this is something that I was listening in on post-match report, and this is something both Costas Fortunis, I think Pacasetas, and Costas Chimikas all said that this next game is like a cup final almost, that it's must-win and it's season-defining. One person I really want to highlight in this national team who doesn't get talked about is Carlos Seca. And he gets really disrespected by some people who say he's not Greek, he shouldn't play. I'll tell you something, Carlos Seca works harder than most Greek players we saw on the national team for six years after the World Cup. And the disrespect he gets is ridiculous. And I personally believe he can control that midfield. His work rate, his ability... He can cover the midfield in a 4-3-3 with the two attackers, Buharlakis and Fortunis. I think without Zeka right now, I don't know where this national team would be in the midfield. It would be the 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 two would be even worse. It would be Buharlakis and Corbelis. It would be a disaster. So I really want to highlight Zeka because I think we kind of just look past it like, oh, Zeka does the work, he cleans everything up. But he's he's not a real Greek, I guess people say, but like he shows everything. He yells the national anthem. He loves this mm -hmm. country. Like, I don't want to see disrespect for Carlos Zeca, like, on my timeline, even a Panathinaikos legend that he is. I don't care. Like, he's a great player for this national team, and I all the respect to him. I hope he comes back to Greece to finish his career.
Well, he is our bulldog. I mean, he is every game. We throw the stats out there every game. He is our bulldog. Most recoveries, most interceptions. It's every game. Now, please, guys, don't bring up Bukalakis Corbelis again. We've seen them too many times together. It is terrible. It is disgusting. It brings back horrible memories. We can't put the two of them together. And I, I do agree with that. You know, in a 4-3-3 setup, I think with Zeka as that, as the as the ball winner, the bulldog, and then you have Fortunis up there, maybe even with Madalos, depending on the team, the game score we're playing against, or Fortunis and Bacasetas, I was still okay with against Cyprus. I, I think that's a winning formula. But with the 4-3-3, the concern is you start to run into issues. If with one real bulldog of a of a ball winner, you run into some of those issues that Balk had pre-Garcia, which was El Caduri, who is their main bulldog in the midfield, being left alone by himself, and then holes and gaps just opening up in the midfield to get run in on. Now, fortunately, besides Slovenia, this group that we're in, there's not a lot of teams with real quality to, to take advantage of that. So I think in that game script, we can take advantage of that and maybe run with like Fortunis and Madalos in, in a double attacking mid situation. But against Slovenia, you do have to be much more balanced. You have to have Zeka there, and you also have to have Bacasetas there, who's probably a little bit better of a ball winner if we're, you know, if we're taking, uh, a, you know, his career and Fortunis' career or Madalos' career together. He probably does a little bit more work off the ball as a ball winner there. Yeah, and if my memory serves with this 4-3-3, wasn't this something Fernando Santos did at the end, especially with Caragunis, Caturanis, yes. and Kone, Con Panayotis Kone was our Fortunis of the time, a really mediocre Fortunis, and everyone was super excited by him. If I remember correctly, wasn't it typically the fullbacks were just left alone sometimes? I, I honestly can't remember those games very closely, but it almost seems like that is a formation Greece can use and has used in the past. And with we have super exciting wingers, I'm going to be honest. I'm super excited to see Solis, Limnios, and um, and Hatiovanis, even though Hatiovanis is, reminds me of a Greek Lazar Angelovic sometimes, where he just runs <laughs> oh into <God>. people. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, the 4 3 3 I really like, and it's something we've done in the past a long time ago, I have to say, but it gave me back some deja vu almost. I don't know. The, the one thing that uh, kind of gives me a little bit of false hope in, in the fact that we may end up opting for 4-2-3-1 is the fact that it is such a crucial match and you want to offer a formation that your players are comfortable with and the stability mm -hmm. there. So I would not be surprised if the 4-2-3-1 does get shown again because it was very experimental against Cyprus with that 4-3-3. And as Adi was saying, there are definitely holes with it that if you're not battle-tested and, and have that tried and true and... and you have that formation where your players are comfortable with it, especially when the midfield is your weakest part of the team. That's definitely something where JVS and the rest of the staff are going to have to do some soul searching with. One thing I want to bring up, changing gears a little bit, something that sort of needs to be addressed, whether we play in a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3. And I wonder what other people think of this, but the striker situation. So on Wednesday, we saw Yorgos Yakumakis, and I was immediately in love with this man, at the top of the formation. He's huge. He looks like he could win a physical battle against any defender that you throw out at him. He's got an eye for goal. He really wants the ball. Now, Pavelidis, I'm not upset with him. I don't think he had a horrible game. He just didn't really seem involved for me. He did have the one memorable thing that he did was he had a really nice little back heel to Chimikas late in the first half. Chimikas took it and ran down and got a shot on target. But aside from that, Pavelidis not really involved for me. 
I wonder what other people think about the striker situation. Would you want to see Yakumakis, although he's only had one cap for Greece and it was a friendly, would you want to see him start against Slovenia? Do you think he could get the goals that we need? So I think it's it's a uh, it's one of those situations where I think it's matchups, and I think uh, Pavlidis is the kind of player that as the game gets more open, he gets more involved. He's the kind of guy that is really good at being able to chest it down or bring down an aerial ball and immediately lay it off to someone else. Yep. It's more of a precise game, and it doesn't really get well-suited against the Moldova team that packs 11 men behind the ball, where it's going to be ugly and dirty and chippy. Uh, that's more of, It's a more of a blue-collar game, and you almost have to approach it with a little bit more of that blue-collar seal, which is what I think a lot of Greek fans have been a little bit frustrated with. It's almost like in The Godfather when the Corleones do away with the crime and try and do the olive oil business and be more white collar. You got to go back to your roots a little bit. We are the Corleones at the end of the day. We we play smash and grab style. And in the final third, it drives me crazy when, you know, there's a player making it, he finally gets some penetration and he's in on goal. And instead of like Salpigidi would have done in years past where he smashes it off the keeper with a hard-fought shot and it bounces and someone pounces on the rebound. We're trying to play this like cute little neat ball in traffic <laughs> and it doesn't work. It's like, guys, insanity is the, doing the same thing over and expecting a different result. <laughs> yep. like, I think the when Greece will find its nirvana, this new Greece team is being able to marry the, the blue-collared past with the white-collared present being able to penetrate, playing creative football where you're creating a lot of chances, and then having the wherewithal to know, should I do a, a slick pass here or should I go side Bigidi mode and smack it off the keeper, create chaos, and then an opportunity will fall for us. So I think just being able to, to have that intuition, to be able to, to decipher which one to use when will be huge. You hit the nail on the head right there with Bavlidis. And I, I have been mentioning to people, in a normal game script with a little bit more open play going on he is a better hold-up player we did deep dives on him funtas kuluris uh yakumakis wasn't in the conversation back then but he is the better hold-up player at striker now where that frustration comes in is in the game script where we need that real poacher that guy that's just gonna get scrappy almost hassan-esque get some of those tap-ins get physical and just rip them into the goal that guy for us is Funtas. He's been doing it for Rapid Vienna, and he is scoring at a very good rate. But then, of course, everyone gets super frustrated because we see him go play on the left wing. You know, it's, I, I know he played at Vienna, uh, Rapid Vienna on the left wing, I think twice, and it was an interesting experiment. But that's the guy for this game script that you want to use, not Pavlidis. Even Yakumakis. When a team is packing 11 in, I mean, that guy is an absolute monster with defenders on him. I would be afraid to man mark him. I'll be honest with you. I mean, no way, dude. Guys, that get the, the trouble, the fight is just worth – it's just more effort than it's worth at that point. I, it would be miserable for me as a defender to go against it, and that's why he's so valuable. And it's why his form in Holland is absurd. And I think you have to just you, – you stay with the hot hand or the hot foot in this case – Roll with Yakumakis. In this type of game script, it's better. But I wouldn't be surprised if we roll with him or roll with Pavlidis again because the game script will be more open, most likely, for Slovenia. I'm going to throw my Olympiakos hat on right now. I just can't watch Yakumakis play. I'm sorry. It reminds me of four years ago when he destroyed Alberto Botia <laughs> and Gariskaki, ripped our hearts out, and scored the 93rd minute and did our season in. Every time I see him, I think of that goal, and I have to rewatch it. 
And I just think Alberto Botia is the weakest player I've ever seen. <laughs> so bad. And I get so angry. And then I'm like, okay, but Yakumakis now plays in Holland. Relax, Lumpo, relax, you know. But but still, I always think of that goddamn goal he scored against us. And it makes me so upset. He did not look that strong when he played for Platanias and Ike. What happened in Holland? He got Leon Goretzka syndrome over there in Poland or wherever he was off to. Like, this man is huge. Like, I don't know what they're feeding people in the Netherlands now. It's just craziness. And Alberto uh, Batia didn't even face that. Freaking Yakumakis, for the record, Albert Botia, if you're listening. Anyway. If Yakumakis was born a generation early, he's pushing to plow instead of uh, playing number nine in, in Holland. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, for sure. It, it's one of those things where, hey, we, we're a physically gifted team. We're fast. We're strong. Uh, not always the slickest, but, you know, it's not always what you need to win a cup. Been there, done that, you know. It, we do have options now which is nice we don't have to rely on uh Mitroglu for everything nowadays we do have a food that we could play up there we do have Yakumakis and Pavlidi and and even others as I mean I'd love to see my personal biases I love Tasos Doni I'd love to have him off the bench offer a little bit of that skill that that guile that we lack um but I mean that's a discussion for another day I'm just thinking about strikers in general but uh, in regards to a Slovenia game, would, for me, it would definitely be who looks the, the sharpest in training leading up to that. I would lean towards Pavlidis just because he's been around and he tends to do well against a Slovenia caliber opponent. I mean, he was great against Bosnia. He, he was great against Finland as well when he played. He, he's able to do what he does best against those middle tier opponents. So that would be my bias. But if Yakumaki starts, I'd be open to that as well. I just think time is on Pavlidis' side. And I think with the experience, JVS is going to go with what he's comfortable with. So that's what we're going to expect. And I'm okay with Pavlidis at that number nine. Also, I'm thinking back to the Slovenia game when we played them the first time. It was a nil-nil draw. I mean, it seems like years ago we had Chiovas at the back, I'm pretty sure. Like, Pavlidis obviously did not score. It was a zero-zero draw. But he did what he does. And I thought he personally played pretty well in that game. I thought a lot of the problems were in that game more with the wingers. But he did his thing, as we've said, with the holdup play. So maybe he would be a valuable addition in that case. A note about Slovenia as well. We mentioned Joseph Ilicic with the penalty. They're going to have a stronger team than when we played them last time. So it should be an interesting matchup. Yeah, and I, I, I'd like to read you guys some quotes now that they're funneling in. JVS was asked immediately after the game for comments on Fortunis. He said, Fortunis had an excellent individual performance. Fortunis showed his big quality. He helped the team. He had a very good relationship with Bacasetas on if they'll play together with Slovenia. He said, we will see. Fortunis was quoted and asked if his performance was some sort of answer, which is something that we keep have reporters asking Fortunis, like, is his performance some sort of answer to Coach Martins or to Coach Van Schip? What do, I don't get why reporters keep saying this. He said, I don't have to answer for anything. Great quote. I always try on the pitch. Sometimes it comes off, sometimes it doesn't. I'm always trying to help the team and be the best I can be. Next, Bacaceta said, they asked him for his goal and assist. He said, I like playing against Moldova. <laughs> That's a good quote. And then he said, I scored in the first match as well, but the most important is the win. Finally, they asked him about his partnership with Fortunis and if he likes playing with Fortunis. And this is something I did not realize before reading this quote. He said, with Fortunis, we were teammates in Tripoli. There we played together. We had great chemistry there on the field, and it shows now. So interesting quotes from oh. everyone. Just want to get your guys' opinions on if you heard anything interesting from those. For me, the big takeaway is um, 
the quotes kind of more validate what I was feeling earlier today was that I think the biggest takeaway from this international break so far is uh, Fortunis is starting to look like his old self again. I think in the first couple of games for Nations League in September and October, his fitness maybe not have been up to par. He, he, he might have been battling some demons, still trying to get his legs under him after that ACL injury where he was still getting minimal time last year as well. He's starting to look like his old self again, and it showed today. I mean, that that screamer to open the open the tally. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, you know how like little girls in like, in one direction when they come on the stage just start screaming like that was literally like, me in like my living room, <laughs> just, like, going like off the walls like let's cook, let's cook. I'm like screaming. My mom's like, "What are you talking about?" I'm like, "Go, like, don't worry about it." And, uh, so, I mean, a, a normal interaction between me on uh, on international break. But uh, no, I mean, he, I, I'm, that's why I guess I'm con I have a little bit of air of confidence in me as a fan now. It's, we can rely on him a little bit more. And if we could rely on his talent to bail us out when we need it, uh, that's not something we could have really relied on in, in, in even like a month and a half ago. So that's huge. I mean, he got some time in, in Champions League and looked great off the bench as well against a really talented opponent. So he's, he's back. He's slowly getting on that trajectory back to his old self, which is awesome. And I, that quote where it's like, I don't need to like play for anyone or I don't need to show anybody anything. That's the cocky fortuna I want. Yo, keep, keep doing your thing out there. Keep going to the beat ass clubs, doing what you do, dance your head off and, you know, go out and score some bangers on Sunday, you know? So it's, it's like, just keep doing what you do and keep cooking and we'll be, we'll be in a spot where I feel confident we'll be able to take Slovenia and, and, you know, dig our heels in and get a result. Yeah, definitely. And Fortunis has been, especially for us, because, you know, this season, this season in particular, we've thrown some very interesting data metrics up. And even for, you know, we're, we're even frustrated with Martins with this respect, because, you know, even for Libyakos, we're starting to, you know, with the loss of Guillerme, with loss of Tsimikas, with the loss of Omar, the structure of our attack going forward has just fundamentally changed. We have new pieces, some that are solid, some that are different and it's certainly changed how our attack looks but Fortunis is really the only other player besides Valbuena that gives us that and it's the same with the national team he is a special player Yanakopoulos said the same thing Yanakopoulos brought up two players that he thinks are the hot young prospect well not young prospects but the hot prospects Fortunis and he brought up Solis these are the the talents that we have to ride on. They need to be playing every game. And and now, I mean, Fortunis just continues the last couple of weeks to show that he's getting back there. The data shows it. I mean, he's more effective in certain respects with smart passes, key passes, in terms of uh, major shot creation. He's coming back and he is going to be necessary. Now, the question is, when will we start to see more of Zolis, not just in the national team, but for Falk as well? He's another one. Going to be the future. Going to have to hang the hats on his performances. We're going to be riding his back as much as we're riding the back of Fortunis for that as well. Yeah, this Fortunis situation, again, another Greek national team at Olympiakos throwback is almost when Kosas Mitroglou in the season 2013-2014 scored all those goals to get us to the round of 16 in the Champions League and especially in Greece. And also for Greece, he was banging in those goals and dragged us all the way to the World Cup in 2014 during qualifying. It's like if we can get that one player banging again, get, scoring goals, producing assists, that's the key. That could maybe, if we get that one attacker, you know, we, we know how to set up shop and defend that lead. So if we get Fortunis, we get Yakumaki scoring goals, that's, that's all we need going forward, you know. And that's what we've been missing now for six years almost. So 
hopefully a sign of things to come. Hopefully he keeps it up. He said at the beginning of the season as well, I, I remember I read you guys that quote he had in the papers. He said, I'm planning for this to be the best season I've ever had. I'm going to give my everything for it. Didn't start off so well, but slowly I think we're getting there, guys. Lambro is good for at least one random mid-2010s Greek football reference per podcast, and I absolutely love it. Usually it's like ragging on some former Olympiakos defender who like nobody knows about anymore, like Botia or like Roderick Miranda, Manuel da Costa, like all of these Olympiakos legends. I quite enjoy them, keep them coming to Lambro. We've been talking a lot about the midfield, especially the, that number 10 situation. But we still have a tragedy in one position, and it's right back. I think we saw today, Tsibikas has a pretty decent right foot, and we know he's pretty good with his left. Can we just move him over there when Yanulis is healthy and just have Yanulis on the left, Tsibikas on the right? It's a tragedy over there in that right back situation. So in the past, I 100% agree. I mean, Mavrias, when him and Kolovos were like being called up the team, you'd almost want to like smash your face against the <laughs> But to be honest, though, man, he the last two games, Mavrias has not been bad, man. He's been neat with the ball. His distribution has been good. His his aerial deliveries have been, you know, not Torosidi level, but it's been yeah. getting the job done. I felt comfortable with him back there today. And uh, not that I see him as the long-term solution, but in a pinch, he's done all right. For me, I, if there's anyone else that comes to mind, the Greek fans are going to kill me for this, but me and Chris Andre, my co-host for our, we have a beta podcast and we haven't officially launched yet. But when we talk about Ethniki, we love Yanis Yanyotas, who plays in Cyprus. And he is a guy that helped uh, Valladolid get promoted to La Liga two years ago. He's an energizer bunny. He's perfect for what a JBS is looking for. He can play right wing back in the five or a four in a four back formation. And he's great going forward. He makes late arrivals in the box like Solistas. He's the first player. Solis is the first player I've seen that has that, that savviness in, in terms of when to arrive in the box and clean up those, those rebounds. As you saw against Cyprus, he did it as well. So he's a guy, if, if there's anyone else in a pinch right now when Bakakis goes down, it would be Yanyotas who hasn't been called up or are given a look. So for me, Mavrias is okay right now. He's skirting it. He's skirting it because I don't, you know, obviously he's not a long-term solution, but this, this, this month he's been all right. He's been all right. So I, I, have, I have faith in him going into Slovenia. Yeah, it's definitely our weakest position, but could be worse. Interesting recommendation with Yanyotas. I wonder if we'll see that. Obviously they're in the same league together, so it's certainly not so far out there i mean it's not like alexis kugias recommending like asteras tripoli's random players to be called up to the <laughs> national team so oh, also i have a side note mavrias looks just like a winger who was turned into a right-sided fullback it's like his <laughs> movements his dribbles like it's so obvious and you know I, i'm just gonna be honest i'd rather have a winger turned into right fullback than hatiadak was playing right back or labro yep. was playing right back you know oh. like you can just tell with his runs, his touches, he knows how to dribble the ball. So, you know what? I, I take that over Labropoulos, who's like, literally, Limnios looks like he's about to play the, the ball, and then he looks like 40 yards back. He's like, what are you, what are you doing back there? Like, <laughs> you can come forward. Like, of course, he's not a he's not a top-tier player. He's a bench player in Cyprus, but he knows how to dribble the ball and is quite competent i guess i rota is still a question mark i would like to see him play at least 60 minutes if we have another one of these friendlies but to be honest with you i'm fine with it and bakakis isn't like freaking marcelo out there he's not the, the greatest fullback we've ever seen so 
no, let's, let's roll with it. I think he's fine for the time being until he really messes up and gets me upset. But yeah, I think he's fine. Well, I mean, if we're comparing to Bakakis, I mean, the the floor only goes so low. But the one thing Bakakis does do, which is interesting enough, is he does whip a lot of crosses in. On a per 90 basis of all the right backs we've had play in that position the last two years, he is the highest. He whips the most crosses in from that position. Now, does he get forward as much as like Mavrias did today? Absolutely not. Does he have the skill to do it? Absolutely not. But for some reason, he whips those crosses in. I, I have one problem with Bakakis. The, the only problem is I can still see Yogos Masura's shin pad flying in the air from the cup final from that horrific <laughs> tackle. So I just, you know, like I, we didn't score that penalty, but I can, I think it's flying over my window here in Geneva. It's just, it's still in the air. <laughs> that was a horrific tackle. You guys have some beef with Ike. I don't know what it is. If I was like y'all's therapist, like I'm <laughs> the problem child here. But uh, I thought I thought one of the biggest things we've been missing is Bakakis, to be honest. If you look at the winning streak we went on last year in 2019, when we beat Armenia, Bosnia, and then Finland back-to-back, the combinations that Bakakis had with Yimyo on that right wing was immense, and it was a huge driver for, for chances and for offense. I thought, I think Bakakis is something we've definitely missed, if anything, from an attacking standpoint. Is he Torosidi? No. But this is a guy that, say, if we ever were lucky enough to qualify for a tournament again, I would trust Bakakis to get the job done. Obviously, George Baldock is the, the golden goose that I'd love to have right now. Yep. But uh, it, sounds, it sounds like with the paperwork and a lot of different um, legal things within FIFA, it's not going to happen, unfortunately. But Bakakis is the number one right back for me in this Greece team right now when he's, when he's fit and healthy. But uh, I, I guess I got to throw my devil's advocate hat on for, for the Ike plays. You boys definitely love, uh, love a good uh, beef. <laughs> uh, just all, all opposing, like, especially me, like – <laughs> Pauk, Ike, yeah, it Ike really Lewis, is mostly Lambro. Our own players, Bakanyas players, Ophi players. Just, just give me names, <laughs> and I'm just gonna come up with a reference from ten years ago to throw out there. Just th- throw them out. You guys have a segment called Lambro's Thoughts, where he just gets to just go, just let him go, <laughs> like a fire, <laughs> a fireside <laughs> chat. Once he lets it out, you take his therapist pen and paper and be like, "All right, bro, uh, here, here, and here, and here is where we gotta talk, bud." <laughs> oh God, Lambro, hey, you and look. Michael Vicini can sit by a fire together and just ah. and just just you both of you can lament whatever you want, the, but uh, Super yeah. Greek, I'm, I'm actually glad you brought that up for Ike because. We have been attacked for defending the likes of Svarnas and Madalos in the past. The funny thing is, Ike fans, for some reason, just hate Svarnas. And I understand why. I understand why from last year. And I understand that they don't trust, like, his defensive ability. But every time I bring up to them that for the national team, if we're excluding Siovas, at least, and uh, Manola, that his, in terms of his defensive metrics most solid so far that we've had and they blast me for it and now with Bakakis I agree with you going forward because his technically his production is higher he might not be flashy he doesn't have the skill but it's higher than what you know Mavrias does all things considered and we get blasted for that too despite the fact that on paper they're actually better choices so uh, I'm that, that does make me feel a little bit more balanced now yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned that because when we spoke to Greg, it's like, Svarnas? He's terrible. I wish we had Labropoulos. And like, <laughs> yeah. all the Ethniki fans are just like, oh, Svarnas, he's the future of the defense. And then, like, you talk to an Ike fan, they're like, 
God damn, Svarnas, when's the Romanian guy coming in to start? You know, like, it's like, wait, what? What? I thought Svarnas was like the next thing. They're like, no, that guy's terrible. And we over here see him twice, twice every few months. And we're like, Svarnas is great. And they're like, no, 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 he's not. He's, <laughs> it's just he's so the funny. kind of guy on the spectrum of center backs. He's the kind of guy where like, you love for him to like to date your sister. Like he's safe. He's safe. <laughs> Like there's, you're not going to get any volatility. You're not going to get anything. He, you know, they're not, he's not going to be like a millionaire where he gets to retire early and it's safe living. He's going to make every paycheck every month and he'll be good, but nothing more. <laughs> like that's what Svadanas is in my head. Anyways, he's a guy that uh, earlier on in, in October and September, he was playing. I was like, why? Like he was like the guy that like Javis was like, wow, like look at how good Svadanas is. And you're just like, what do you like he's nothing special like he's done his i will say if you're if you're in spotless's camp he's a guy that's like hey man i've done my job i've kept some clean sheets we've done well like give me some props and it's like yeah you do deserve your props you're also playing league c in nation's league but you've done your job up to this point like you only play who you play and like you've only been given the chances you've been given and you've done all right but i i would i would take katsidiakos at 90 percent any day over or spotless at 110 so I, I guess using that reference, Savelas like an amateur MMA fighter in Mexico. He like disappears for months. Like what 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 happened to Savelas? Like he, I, I posted a photo of him together with Manuel da Costa on Twitter and I was like, are these the same players? And I guess they're like considered great players in Turkey from what I read. So Yeah, no, they're 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 good. They're I mean Alanya Sport is doing very well. They're in a top two, top three spot right now. And I think they're, they're top Savelas. of the table right now. Yeah, there you go. And and Savelas is the captain of that side more often than not. Um and then Bakasetas made the silver, uh not the gold team for a Turkish league, but the silver league team. So like basically all second team, which is which is a pretty good honor. I, I think Savelas gets a bad rap as well. A lot of Greek fans I've been seeing on Twitter going, hey, like, why? We don't need, like, old ethnic guys. The, the system that JVS plays under is, is integral to have that slickness from the center back position, those long over-the-top balls that really kind of get teams turning and it can, you know, change transitions very quickly. Savelas has been great. I mean, have they scored a goal other than um, the, the Lurota penalty against uh, Moldova from last time around? I think he's been solid. His pass has been crisp. He's been in some tight areas where he, there's pressure on him. He's able to get it off his feet safely. I thought he's been all right. I, I think also having that veteran presence in the locker room has been great because outside of him, now that Siobas is gone, it's it's like the Peter Pan lost boys out there with like all like 22 and under to play in. So you want to have that 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 veteran presence in the locker room, someone that's been to Euro 2012, someone that's been to World Cup 2014, has that experience to call upon, knows what it takes to get there. And his play on the field has been fine, so I, I'm fine with it. And he's he's gritty too. The last thing I will say in this rant is he's he has that steel, that like yo, like who you looking at, boy? Like, like some of that like <laughs> that like that inner city like yo, like what, what are you looking at? Like I love that about him. But we need a little bit of that. You want that? You want that guy in your corner? That's a guy you don't want to play against. So. And I, I will say, Olympiacos fans on Twitter, who of course were aligned with, are are still upset. Savelas almost ruined the 2014 World Cup with his beef with Yanis Maniatis. I remember that. If you guys remember, they got in a huge fight over Olympiacos and Pauk and in Brazil, and were like going at it at training sessions. So like a lot of people were like call Maniatis up, and it's like he's a coach now. Call him up and as an assistant coach. Like <laughs> I don't know. It's just it's just classic stuff. No, but I see your point with Savelas, but. I don't I, I he he's so great on the ball because we we can't forget he started as a left-sided fullback right and the the center back position he's made his own because he slowed down and 
just I don't I don't think there's room for slower fullbacks in football these days. You know, you yeah. don't really see it that much, like a Kolarov or Savelas even. So I think he's adapted to that role, but I think under stronger competition, when he's faced to go defending one on one, and he's a little bit shorter, a little smaller, that's where his fullback side comes out a little bit. I'm worried against him, like that Kosovo and six six target man. Do you guys remember him? He was like a yeah. giant. Yeah. <laughs> Certain things like that I can see in the future being the worry, but like for cover gap for this campaign, I think it's fine. But going into Qatar, especially if we're in pot four, I think it could be dangerous going forward with Savelas. I would hope there's a more permanent, even Mihalidis partnership, even though he's young. I don't know. I don't have the answer for that. Siovas was like the perfect answer. Too bad that went really bad, but we'll see. Yeah, we will see. I know. I think it's a good point in regards to his size as the competition gets stiffer. And that's just like a, a euphemism for the entire ethniki at this moment, where it's like, what's going to happen against bigger competition? I, the, the two sample sizes that we've seen are with Italy last campaign, where, you know, we actually created a decent amount of chances and, and we're, you know, we're in that and the ball could have bounced differently. That was our first time really playing with this new unit. So it wasn't really fair as in terms of judge them in terms of that's what it is going to be. And then with Austria, and, and you saw, that's, that's, that's the biggest importance about getting into League B, is you saw the first 20 minutes against Austria on that friendly. It's like that, that curve that we needed to kind of bridge was, was there. And I mean, seven quarters in a row and like the first minute or two. And then, you know, just the tempo of the game was so much quicker. You could tell that there was, there was, a, it was a transitional half for Greece to kind of get their boots back under them and be like, all right, this is what it's like to play against a good opponent. And as we saw in the second half, they, they adapted and they, they, got, they were able to match that tempo. So there's hope that they can carry that into World Cup qualifiers, but the jury's definitely still out. I think there's a lot to, to be, you know, still figured out with this team in terms of what their nerve is, their bottle, how they handle adversity. And I think a lot of that's going to come out next week. You know, you look back at like World War II, let's say, and of course, Super Greek talking about Ohide again, whatever, I get it. But Ohide was kind of like, it was like a butterfly effect. If this historic moment doesn't happen, the trajectory and the, the moments after that are very, very different. It's like a very, choose your own adventure. Greece has a chance to choose their own adventure next week on Wednesday. And, and we will learn a lot about this team. And then the implications and consequences from the result of that match are also very, very cumbersome because if we get pot four, if we go down to world rankings, get pot four, then our chances of getting the World Cup are different. Our world ranking that gets changed, we, we, you know, there's a lot on the line. And I love those moments. And this when it's moments where Greece, when you just want, want to grit your teeth at and be like, I don't know why I root for you guys. <laughs> then a lot of those moments get stifled out in the big moments that come. So like those big moments where Greece does come through, all the frustration is worth it because they've come through in the past. And I'm very curious to see if they can match that Greece of yesteryear, where they, you can almost forgive them for the, why are we tied with Moldova or Malta in the 90th minute kind of thing, because they, they've come through and, and that's just who they are. We'll see if they have that juju with. Yeah. And the, the one point I'll make is, so this is like the, the big defining game. And I, I'm sorry with the references. I think everyone gets like an idea of my mind. That's how I like to think of things I could reference into the past, but I, I'm getting like nightmares back to Croatia when we were qualifying for the Russian World Cup where everyone was like, this is the cup final. We're going to do it. Michael Skibbe is going to take us to the World Cup. And then it was like a disaster. So I'm bracing myself a little bit because I remember like Panos Retos coming out on TV after the game too and it looked like he was about to cry. Like, I don't know, like that, that was such a dark memory, even though Croatia, of course, 
went to the final of the World Cup. That was like the last moment where I think this national team was really like, we're about to do something and everyone's really excited. So hopefully they don't let us down. I think this team has got it too. I think they have the bottle, as they say in England. Yeah. Bottle, the bottle, as I say. Um, so no, I, I I agree. I think the biggest thing with that that campaign with Croatia was, it was almost like when the Germanic tribes in 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 centuries past were like, who's who's this Genghis Khan over there, thinking he's so good, and then all, Genghis Khan have taken the whole world. That was like Greece with Croatia. We were we were licking our chops like, yo, we got Croatia. They choke. They they never make it. They always play to their opponent's level. This this and that. They just fired their coach a month before the the tie with Greece. We're cooking. We got this. Then Croatia Slako Dalic comes in. He pulls just the right amount of strings where it's like that Croatia have solved like their generational problems in over in a month's time. And then on top of that. We get kind of the the curse of injuries where uh, Torosidis was banged up. Manolas gets that wrongful yellow card against um, who was that? That I think it was Estonia, where he took a per they, uh, FIFA accused him of taking a purposeful yellow card. So we had half our back line missing. Donis was missing. Mitroglu was missing. It was just we were banged up and and we were coming up against a Croatia team that had basically reached their nirvana, their their potential. So it was it was a sliding doors moment really. Um, and and Skeeb wasn't the guy. That, I mean, we got, even if we got to that World Cup, Skeeb wasn't. We, I could write a dissertation on Skeeb. Uh, that that whole campaign was something. But I don't I don't see it being a, re, a repeat of that. I, I know obviously the scarring is still there from Croatia, but um, we're we're in a much different place now, and we're much more attacking oriented now, and can create chances now. If you guys remember that Skeeb campaign, I'll never forget the Croatia game or the Estonia game where we tied zero zero, but we needed to get points on Bosnia, who were chipping at the bit. And we, I remember we were in a 4-4-2 and it was stagnant. And it was like, I'm going to stand here in a 4-4-2 because that's what Steve told me to do. There was no movement off the ball. There was no tactics. It was like watching paint dry, but also like watching your own surgery happen at the same time. So it was just, it was one of those things where I don't see a groundhog day with Steve in this big match. I think it's, I think the jury still has to what to expect, but I don't see a Steve level capitulation happening. Well, you've just hinted at what you think might happen on Wednesday. Do you want to give an official score prediction we can all go around? Ooh, yeah, and then we'll do man of the match after. I know we're, we're, yes. we're 10 for Greek. I know, I know uh, we got some uh, Greek fans that are, are not Greek by blood, but have, have uh, you know, seen the light and love what's going on. We, we're chatty Cathy's over here, so we'll, we'll, definitely, <laughs> we'll definitely get things uh, more in that direction. So prediction-wise... It's tough. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do two. So like my head and then what my heart thinks. So I'll go with my heart first. My heart sees a two-one or one-zero, and I'll go with one-zero. I think we squeak out a one-nil. My heart thinks we'll squeak out a one-nil in Slovenia. My head sees like a one-one, and, and we fall a little bit short. But my heart. And my heart has been more accurate than my head a lot of times when it comes to Greece. So keep that in mind. Keep the faith, Greek fans out there. I like the head and heart thing, you know. It gives me less opportunities to be wrong. And I also, I feel the same way. Like, I want to see, like, I want to see a victory so bad. But I think I'll say what my head thinks. I'm going to say a 1-1 draw. Maybe it'll be a BS penalty at the end of the game like they got against Kosovo. I don't know if that would make me feel better or not, but... I think it'll probably be a draw and I mean, who knows, maybe we'll play really well and draw and I won't be upset. Maybe we'll play badly and draw and I'll be calling for JVS's head. I mean, it's really hard to say. I think obviously we want the result, but I'm going to say a one, one draw 
and we'll see how we play. There's something after watching this game as an Olympiacos fan, when I see Cosas Fortunis and Cosas Chimicas on the field together, I just feel like we can do it versus anyone. Like those two are so classy. And when they interplay together, it's just like, I cry thinking of Jose Holebas back in Galifada sitting watching that on his couch. <laughs> but so the, the two fears I have are Ilicic and then the curse of Greek national team, Olympiacos players, the amazing goalie, which is Oblak, and us not scoring. But you know what? I, I'm coming through with uh, Cosas Fortuny's masterclass, and he's going to drag us to this win, and it's going to be a 2-1. And I think Ilicic scores another one, either a penalty or open play. Damn it. You took mine, Labro. That was going to be my... I'll still go with 2-1, but I'll do the context a little bit different. We're going to go down first. It's going to be, it's going to look ugly, one nothing. We're going to complain, and then the boys are going to get together, and they're just going to come back, two goals, we get it. Now, that one's from the heart. I can't think of one. I'm just, I've got pride right now. I've got my jersey I got from Caraguni. I'm feeling good about this. This is going to be a win. We take the group. We get promoted. So I will say, if you when you asked me the scores, my head, the hamster wheel in my brain started going really fast. <laughs> if you if you think of just like who's gonna get promoted, who's not big picture, honestly, like especially with Labro's prediction, I definitely see my heart's prediction definitely coming more into the forefront as what I would expect. <laughs> um, what I will say is this: on top of that, uh, I don't think we should be calling for JVS's head. Unless it's like a really, really ugly game where he, where yeah. he's testing him, he's given like this roadblock yep. where he needs to work around and doesn't and fails miserably, he should stay because I think one of the biggest things that we need to remember with Greece, and no matter what coach we have, no matter what generation is, this is how we're just wired as Greeks. The stumbling block for Greece will always be those pot three, four, and five teams. If you remember in all the Santos years, the the Ray Hogley years and qualifiers, it was always. Find a way to just not lose points against pots three and four. Find a way to not lose all your points against the pot one team and then watch the pot one team wipe the floor with pots three and four. And then from there, like, you would squeak Greece and squeak ahead. We saw it against Bosnia and Belgium, right? Everyone's like, oh, my God, Bosnia and Belgium. It's like, no, no, no. We just need to tie Belgium once and we will get through because Bosnia is going to lose twice and we'll be able to tie Bosnia twice, right? So it's like we punch up and are able to steal some points from those top-tier teams. And we can also – we'll also – tie the mid-tier teams as well the mid-tier teams struggle to go up so a Slovenia is a perfect example of like a team that would give us trouble in qualifiers but would get lose four or five mil to Belgium and then we'd go on a tie Belgium kind of thing so what I'm basically getting at is it's not I wouldn't let Nations League and League C be the metric of like oh this is what JVS is because Greece will always kind of be stagnant and not their best self when they're surrounded by pot three level pot four level teams let's say if that makes any sense there's a, a lot of insight into what you just said. And I like that because for me, and we've said the same thing. I know Lambda sometimes when he gets into his emotional states, it does, everybody's going to go. He, he wants me out. He wants Peter out. doesn't matter. Everybody's got to go. But in general for us, I know Peter and I have said this, and even Lambro has said it when he's in his level-headed state. I mean, Nations League, first of all, these are – glorified friendlies right these were always friendlies before nations league was a thing now there's some sprinkles on it because there there's some seeding that comes out of it depending on how well you do so it, this would be like us kind of cutting somebody after just a, a series of friendlies are done for us i think the real the when we can really pull the measuring stick out right and really see hey what has van ship done is all right 
qualifications coming around. Now the money's on the line, okay? How does he handle that? After seeing what he's seen, all the friendlies, Nations League, how does he adjust, not just for minnows, but for better competition? What happens there? And that's going to really be the tell-all with, is this system really what it looks like? Should we be as excited as we are now? Is there something more to it? Are we as average as everybody is afraid that we are? That's going to be the real tell-all there. And that's why for me, I mean, as much as everybody gets upset with Vanship, including myself with personnel choices and and tactics issues, I'm not calling for his head. I also just hate the carousel. I'm just sick of it with regards to the Super League and the national team. I'm done with it. So I'd rather just give him the campaign and see what happens. Also, I, I think you can see where the... Hellenic Football Association and John Vinship are with this and where the media is with this, a lot of media-friendly people, you'll hear them mention Project Qatar. That's like usually the first few words out of their mouth. They always say Project Qatar, Project Qatar, Project. So you can see that they're framing this as, okay, these nation leagues are going to give us confidence, get the, as the Greek media always says, like, is the climate good in the locker room? The climate's now good in the locker room. We're rolling into the real Project Qatar with a good climate. We don't have Savelas beating up Maniatis in Brazil. Like, we, we've got the good climate. So I'm fine giving him guitar, you know? Like, like let's see if he can do it. And I, I would love to win on Wednesday. I think it would be a great lift for the whole team. But, like, it's fine if we take a draw. Slovenia is a decent team, I guess. But it would be a massive boost if we win it. So long as we don't dip into the 31st ranked UEFA team, it'll be fine. Uh, and it looks as though we're in a spot where it could happen if Bosnia still maintain, if Bosnia get a win, we draw, draw our loss and Finland win, we'll be in pot four. But if Finland do well and we do well and Bosnia does poorly, we'll be in pot three. It's, it's 55, 54 and 53 in the world right now. So it's a tight race for that pot, that last spot in pot three. So that's the big, if anything, that's the biggest takeaway from this match, which is most important for us. Obviously we do want to get in the league B to get more exposure to better teams, but think we're on the same page where we need to handle this like we need it's a, a must-win game we're going to throw everything we have at it this is a, a great measuring stick to see where we're at people have to remember uh, the, the Greece of yesteryear post 2014 was in shambles and JBS didn't have the luxury of inheriting a team like Skeev did that was a whisker away from the World Cup quarterfinals a year and a half prior right this is a new crop of young players a lot of them unfortunately have had their careers stifled by the, the the delayed effects of the economic crisis in the Super League so there's a lot of variables that people that that people aren't giving JBS credit for our biggest problem with, with Skeev was we used to not be able to create chances. And then the ones that we would create, it would be a flip of a coin whether we score. We're creating now. And, and that, that's huge. And that's something that a Greek team, even under Santos, we didn't do as routinely and as, as much as we've done in terms of creating chances. I mean, go look at the Bosnia highlights for Greece and Bosnia in 2019 when we won 2-1. We created like 25 chances against the team that had smacked Finland 4-1 three days earlier. So we're, we're creating now. And that's a huge problem that... The, the tempo is a huge problem. The, the work rate off the ball is a huge problem. The, the, the ability to create was a huge problem. JVS has addressed all of that. So you, we got we to gotta, we gotta support the coach here. He's, he's not someone that needs to – he's definitely done things that have warranted criticism. Absolutely, 100%. My co-host and I, Chris Andre, on our podcast, we, we kind of buck heads of that because he always takes the side of the coaches. He's in the, he works in the footballing world. So I've been, as a fan, I'm always like, hey, like JVS, you could have done this, this, and this. But we have to back the coach here. Let's back the boys to the hill. I, I, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. That's how I would leave it. 
and and we'll see what happens. That uh, Fortunis is looking, he's looking great. So I, that's something that is giving me a lot of confidence, putting my head on the pillow at night with a little bit more, uh, you know, relaxation, I guess. Well, that's a good way to put it. Cautiously optimistic, and I'm really excited for Wednesday's game. I think talking about it has made me more excited for the game and just realizing how big of a game this is. Even though it's Nations League, I think it just means a lot for Greece to win a game and in such a dramatic fashion on the last match day against the top team to, to leapfrog them to the top of the group, I think would be huge. I think we're running a bit long on time though. Obviously we've done a lot of discussion about the Ethniki. Super Greek, do you have any other things that you want to mention, whether it's about today's game or more generally, we know that you have a lot of stuff going on with the Super Greek brand, the network, got the podcast in the works that you've mentioned a couple times. You've got Twitter accounts. Where can we follow you? Where can the listeners follow you? Where can we listen to your content? Because I'm sure people who are listening to this want to see more of you if they're not familiar with you already. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we have a podcast in the works. We're going to hopefully do an official launch in the next couple of weeks. It's the Super Greek Podcast. If you go on Apple and Spotify, the Super Greek Podcast. Uh, you guys are going to be coming on mine. Either two of you or three of you or one of you are going to be coming on mine in the next uh, few weeks as well. I think we have a date set up for that. So for me, if you go to my Twitter bio, there's a link in the bio. It's a link tree. It has my links to everything, my Instagram, my Apple, my Spotify podcast. We have a couple of uh, pilot episodes on there already. And we're going to do more than just sports. Um, I think, as you can see with my content, we do more than just sports, even though the driver at the end of the day is ethnic and, and Greek sports. We want to talk about current events. We want to see what, what's going on in, in other sectors of Greek society and whatnot. My, the, the saying that I'm going to be calling upon a lot or drawing upon a lot is, Movers, shakers, and playmakers. Anybody in any industry that's Greek that's been killing it in media, in politics, in writing, in, in, sci in the sciences. If you're moving, shaking, and playmaking, we want you on the podcast. So definitely give me some suggestions if you want to hear people's voices. We have some great guests already in the works, yet to be confirmed, so I can't say anything, but some professional athletes, some, some people in politics. So we have, we have a lot of good guests in the works, and we do, we do want to launch. We have at least a, a handful of episodes to give you off the bat to have some consistency. But I'm at the Super Greek underscore with an underscore at the end if you're on Twitter, at the Super Greek on Instagram. Those are the two main platforms we have. Follow us on YouTube as well. Subscribe to us on YouTube at the Super Greek. And then um, before we finish, I'd love to hear, uh, we, I'd love to talk Man of the Match if we have time for it. Uh, yes. I've been having so much fun this track of time, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll go first. It's Costas Fortunis for me, Man of the Match. If we want to do a coach's grade, which we usually do for Pedro Martins. Yeah. I will give JVS for today. I'll, I'll give him a B, I think. I mean, all things considered, like, you know, I can't go much lower because we got the three points and it's, he would have had to really, really have a stinker to blow this against Moldova. So I didn't see exactly what I wanted to, which is why it's not an A for me, but I'll say a B. Lambro, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm going to go with Fortunis, man of the match, of course. Um, Bakasetas had a decent game as well. I think he's, he of course had like the Sergio Busquets assist, which we mentioned, just laying it off to the player. He does like an amazing thing, i.e. Messi for Busquets. But uh, yeah, Fortunis, and I'll give JVS a B plus. I honestly, I, I was a little upset with the 4-3-3. I think Bukalakis had his typical giveaways, but I think he did fine in that role. I would have liked to see Tzolis a little earlier, actually. Um, and I think... The resting of Chimikas and Fortunis was brilliant. So that's why he gets a little 
better in my mind. I think Kiriakopoulos too is a very good player. I'm excited uh, to see, but I don't want to rehash the discussion. But yeah, B plus for JBS. Adi. Uh, yeah, for me, it's going to be Fortunis as well. I mean, that performance, that's going to be singing those lullabies for Super Greek. going to help him sleep much better tonight. Uh, and then for the coaching grade, I'm going to give JVS, again, even though, you know, when I saw the lineup, I was a little frustrated, got the job done. The subs, obviously, they weren't tactical. He was definitely resting Fortunis and Simikas 100% and, you know, threw some guys out there. They didn't make impact, but I don't think that was necessarily what the goal was. I think we were just finishing the game out, giving more guys a look, so... B plus, I think, is a, is a fair grade, all things considered, despite the fact that I don't think it was necessarily the tactics that won the game today. It was individual performances. But yeah, B plus for me. So I'm going to give him an 89.9, which is a B plus, but I'm the cool teacher that rounds it up to 90. So <laughs> I think the biggest thing with, with, with a team like Moldova, right, it, it's especially the situation of, uh, of uh, preparing for next week as well. It's a win at all costs. They're going to come to make it ugly. They're going to look to play, you know, chippy and, and get in your head and take you off your game. We stayed on our game and we're able to score. It's just, it's just a score and win at all costs. We were able to do that. The substitutions and the 2-0 uh, victory at halftime, excuse me, the 2-0 uh, lead at halftime allowed us to take our, our star men off who is my man of the match and Fortunis as well, but my runner-up would be Tsimikas. I thought even not just today, but last game as well, he's brought a different air of confidence and, and stardust to that back line and to that left wing that, yes, Yanulis has brought that going forward as well, but uh, Tsimikas is much more stable at the back. He's much more aggressive and he wins a lot more balls in the back. A lot of times with Yanulis, he's been caught out and has to recover, uh, and, and, and we've had to adapt for that as well. I think Tsimikas is the, the left back, the number one left back for Greece on his day when everyone's there. And it's there's there's definitely more of that, like, okay, like we're starting to come together and become a team here. Once we get everybody healthy, like we're gonna look like a ball club, boys. And and mm -hmm. Tsimikas has definitely been that next step. Um, I love to play around with Yanulis uh, maybe going forward and, and depending on what opponents we play against, but um Tsimikas would be the the runner-up for for my player of the match with Fortunis being number one. So Yes, we, we love us some Kostas Chimikas. As we said on the last podcast, somebody make sure he doesn't, like, Buhalakis or someone, like, just make sure he doesn't go back to England. Let him stay here. Give Liverpool Jose Jodevas in a mask. Maybe they won't notice. <laughs> we need him back in our team very badly. I miss that man. His amazing down that left side. With that being said, I think that about wraps it up. The Super Greek, he's good for some great banter incredibly unique story i really enjoyed hearing about your background as well so that was really cool to hear about just creating an incredibly unique and needed product not just for sports but as you said movers shakers and playmakers anything greek i think it's really great to promote those people and to amplify their voices and allow people to hear about the great things that greeks are doing across the world in all sorts of industries and markets so that's really awesome Thank you, thank you, thank you once again for coming on. We look forward to the launch of your podcast and appearing on that as well. No, thank you so much for having me. Um, hopefully uh, my performance is good enough where I can jump back on from time to time and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, get the banter oh, yeah. going. I think it was, for Absolutely. sure. This is yeah. For, uh, you guys had Yanakopoulos and you had the Super Greek. Yeah, not many podcasts get to one-up their guests week to week. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
I couldn't t- say that to Yanakopoulos. He's a legend of the game. Um, <laughs> but, uh, he's awesome. And congratulations for all your success, boys. Um, I-, I love seeing, you know, Greeks just making moves and-, and making our presence felt. And Germany is watching. They know we're coming. So we'll be, we'll be doing our thing and we'll, we'll see uh, where this, you know, uh, internet journey takes us as time goes on. But I'm very excited to see how you guys do and how all the, you know, the Greeks making moves, movers, shakers, playmakers, how we're all doing in, in our face. <laughs> Sounds good, man. We feel the same way. We can't wait to keep seeing the community grow. And as a result of that, feel free to interact with us on social media. As always, Gate7INTL. Interact with the Super Greek as well. Great content coming from him on Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. Continue to send us reviews on Apple. Thank you all very, very much for listening as always, especially if you've made it this far. We hope you enjoyed and we will see you very soon.